Blog Talk Radio. I'm a truth terrorist. I'm a knowledge gangster. I'm a black history hitman. I'm a lie killer, urban gorilla. I gotta be a rough nag. Free the Black Panthers. FCBP. Stand for Free the Black Panthers. It's not the black police. That 13th Amendment. Trying to make a slave of me. You can like my body, can't trap my mind, not forever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers, and fuck the black police. Feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership roles, but we still here, finna build here, up coins, hell pro. Show, they got me started, lying hearted, I'm the new Mufasa. And I'm all about Umoja, first in Guzu Saba. Let's bring back the black families, we need our father. Single mama, son and daughter, that's root of the problem. Wise up, we wise up. Unity is so powerful. Black banks, black schools, black gone, black power moves. You telling lies, you think this shit won't be televised. Black power, be scared guys, that be standing there like they paralyzed. Huh? We say fuck the system, cause we above the system. We keep ARs and pistols, shotguns that's worth a crystal. But that's for self-defense, make sure we have no issues. Be sure to leave it at the door if you have it with you. This for them freedom fighters that lost their freedom. Until they freedom, we screaming carpe diem. This for the general. King Khalid Muhammad, we gon' make your day a holiday. I fuck me promise. Free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers. And fuck the Black Police, that 13th Amendment, tryna make a slave of me. You can like my body, can't trap my mind, not forever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers. And fuck the Black Police. Feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership roles, but we still here in the bill here. Up coin tail pro. RBG, 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 RBG. My sisters, my brothers, the council, the elders, cause that's really all I need. We suited, we booted, don't do it, you stupid, we head to the armory. Black women and goddess, regardless, my heart just don't fuck with misogyny, foolish that don't tolerate it. Melanated, so you gotta hate it. But rock up, up another conversation. Trump finna get inaugurated, damn. Unify or die, nbpp.org. First and foremost, the new Black Panther Party, no no other Black Panther Party, we are not violent. We are for self-defense and self-determination. The most violent group in this country are the police. What is taking place by the police department to black people across this country is ethnic cleansing and genocide. It has escalated since the day that Barack Obama was inaugurated in 2008. We have a, 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 a people who are only 13% of the population, yet we make up 80% of the prisons. We have 50% unemployment rate in the black community, and it's actually even more than that because they're not counting our people that are in the prisons. The 13th Amendment says you cannot be made a slave or indigenous servant unless you commit a crime. The 14th Amendment forced our people to be subjects of this government. We never had any say in that. We need our own nation. Newspaper's founder's role in transatlantic slavery and announced a decade-long program of restorative justice. The Scott Trust 
said it would invest more than 10 million pounds sterling to descendant communities of the enslaved. Opposition British MPs tied to the centre-left British Labour Party also added their voice to the debate in the first quarter of 2023. For the first time, King Charles III, in a statement released by Buckingham Palace, signaled institutional support for research into the British monarchy's ties to slavery after a document showed a royal ancestor with shares in a slave trading company. Charles III, who is the head of state of a number of formerly enslaved British Commonwealth countries, released the statement after responding to an article in the Guardian newspaper that revealed a document showing that the deputy governor of the slave trading Royal African Company transferred £1,000 of shares in the business to King William III in 1689. In this recent memoir, Spare, Prince Harry, who has fallen out of grace with his family, wrote that the monarchy rests upon wealth generated by, quote, exploited workers and thuggery, annexation, and enslaved people, unquote. In this bonus episode of The Bub Report, we discuss the current state of the reparations debate as formerly enslaved and colonized Caribbean countries make the case for reparative justice. We welcome our guests, Laura Trevelyan, former BBC journalist and member of the Trevelyan family, Lincoln Toro Depardin, author and member of the Grenada National Reparations Community, the Honorable Clive Lewis, member of parliament for the Norwich South constituency in the British House of Commons, and John Dower, member of the Trevelyan family and award-winning director working in film, TV, and games. Here now is our host, Dr. Kellon Bubb. We thank you for joining us. Hello, viewers and listeners, and we welcome you to this bonus edition of The Bubb Report. You might be wondering why the program is on at this hour, but uh, we have a special program uh, in which we'll be discussing reparations. Now, uh, earlier in the wake of the Trevelyan family historic apology for enslaving people of African descent on the island of Grenada in March of this year, we will discuss how the reparations movement will navigate with its demands for various forms of reparatory justice for the formerly enslaved and colonized people of the Caribbean region. At this point, we, will, we wish to welcome our panelists for this particular special edition of the Bub Report. He is Mr. Lincoln Toro Depardine. He's an author. He's also a member of the Grenada National Reparations Committee, as well as a veteran journalist uh, who we can rely on for uh, streams of knowledge with respect to journalistic history in Grenada. Mr. Depardine, welcome to the program. We welcome. also have... Uh, uh, Yes, go ahead. Thank you, thank uh, you, Dr. Bob. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. And we have Laura Trevelyan. Uh, she works with the British Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, she's also a journalist like myself. And uh, she recently retired from the corporation, she says, and she will be dedicating uh, some of her time to uh, the cause for reparative justice. And we also have a cousin of uh, Laura Trevelyan, Mr. John Dower, who is, as we said uh, in the intro, uh, he's a member of the Trevelyan family, but uh, he uh, does a lot of work in, in relation to screen and film. 
So, uh, panelists, welcome to this uh, special episode of the Bub Report. Great Thank you for here. the opportunity, Kellon. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, Laura, I, I will begin with you, Laura and John. Um, since your families, you and your family's visit to Grenada, you have submitted an early retirement as, as a journalist mm -hmm. with the British Broadcasting Corporation, you said, to uh, dedicate your, uh, your, your services to the cause of re reparations. Now, what motivated this move? Some might have questioned your intentions in that respect. Laura. Yes, Callum, what I said was that I was joining the Caribbean's fight for reparatory justice. Uh, because in the wake of our family's apology in Grenada, so there was so much reaction around the world that was flooding in. And so many families that contacted me, so many individuals, just so many people who had questions and felt that what he, we had done was encouraging, that guided really by Sir Hilary Beckles, the chair of CARICOM's reparations commission, who encouraged me to think of myself as somebody who could communicate on behalf of the Caribbean and its demand for reparatory justice. Um, I hoped that I could try to make a difference and that's what I've been trying to do. Okay, um, and of course, I, I, I'm gonna bring in John here as well. Uh, John, welcome to the program. Now. Uh, both of you were recently in Grenada. Um, can you talk about, uh, and Laura mentioned that reaction that you received um, from the United Kingdom. Can you talk about, John, yourself, that reaction from the UK, from the public, from, 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 from the British public in respect of um, what you did in Grenada? Now, obviously, public reaction in the UK, as we understand it, is extremely polarizing. There are those in the United Kingdom who say that they bear no responsibility for what their ancestors did. So why, therefore, are we having this conversation on reparations? John? Certainly, Kellon, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, I always said to the family while we were putting this um, apology together, which took a long time to negotiate, and we had many Zoom meetings over the year before we um, finally went and made the apology public, um, I, I talked a lot about the fact that the organizing the letter was going to be difficult and, uh, and complex, but actually once it went out into the world, we were very clear that, the, um, that what was going to happen then was unpredictable. And certainly I think that's proved true because I think since that time, um, the response has been very varied. Um, on the whole, I think we've been overwhelmed by the fact that it seems to have been received quite positively. And we've also been very positive about the fact that it also seems to have made quite a difference. It seems to have engendered a conversation, which I think um, was was certainly there. But we the, let, the, the apology seems to have um, opened things up a bit. So there's been a lot of uh, press coverage. There's been a lot of uh, action on social media. Um, the family has become very galvanized. I think we've also encouraged other families to start thinking about doing the same. So I would say that although there has been the, um, we knew there was going to be some criticism and there's certainly been some criticism. I think overall we've been encouraged by the positive feedback that we've got and reception that the, the apologies mm -hmm. uh, has received. And uh, you, you mentioned, I'm, go I'm going to bring uh, uh, Laura back here. You mentioned that uh, you received feedback from other uh, British families. Um, 
and, and you've had conversations with these people. Uh, were these people connected in any way to uh, colonialism and slavery in the Caribbean? Were, were yes. they benef direct beneficiaries of, yes. um, Absolutely, of the Callum. slave trade? Yes. Yes. What, yes. One, of the, one of the points that Sir Hilary Beckles made to us was that there's been a deafening silence in general from those whose ancestors directly profited from enslavement, from those whose ancestors owned or part-owned plantations. Uh, and that was why he encouraged us to set an example, to set what he called a historic example, because he felt that there would be other families out there who would, if we did this, would feel that they too could do the same. And what Sir Hillary said to us, and you will know, Kellen and Lincoln much better than us, Sir Hillary told us that the Caribbean's history is a, it's a void for so many people, that you don't know where your ancestors are from specifically, uh, that slavery is escaping wounds, and that if we came forward, we would in some way be filling in that jigsaw puzzle uh, and bringing some actual facts to, to what is a void. So in the wake of our family apology, I have been contacted by families whose ancestors owned slaves in Jamaica, in Barbados, in the British Caribbean. Families looking for a roadmap. Families asking, how did you do this? Families saying, this is such a difficult and painful subject. We feel so terrible about what our ancestors are, but we just don't even know where to begin. So I've advised them, contact the reparations committee on the relevant islands you know, try to find as many papers as you can. Have you consulted the UCL database of legacies of British slavery? Uh, you know, try, try to find out what you can. Uh, contact the Reparations Committee, whether it's in Jamaica or Barbados, and, and say that you would like to try to move this conversation forward. Okay. And uh, Tora, let, let me bring you in here as, uh, the, uh, as a member of, of, of the Grenada National Reparations Committee, and thank you again for being so flexible in coming on. Now, um, we, we've been talking about, uh, you know, these uh, different uh, commitments to apology in, in, the, in the context of the Guardian newspaper, for example. They're talking about what, what they intend to do. How does the committee respond to declarations, for example, made by the British royal family and the Guardian newspaper, as I've said earlier, in respect of its intention to study reparations? In the case of the former, and in the case of the, the latter, uh, through the Scots Trust, a commitment to investing more than £10 million to descendant communities linked to its founders. Now, Toro, some may say that these organizations are simply engaging in mere tokenism, and they're not necessarily genuine about attempting to addressing the specific 10-point reparations plan as articulated by CARICOM. Your thoughts on that idea? How, how is the reparations uh, committee um, ensuring, or, or I, I suppose, testing the, the, the genuine intentions of, of, of those who are coming uh, forward? How do you measure those intentions, in other words? Right. And that's a real genuine concern that the this discussion must move beyond talk. So, for instance, the chairman of the Grenada National Reparations Committee, he has welcomed the, the uh, King Charles saying that he, he, he he likes the idea of University of Manchester doing the study, but he has he has gone on record in an interview with the BBC saying that King Charles must move beyond just an apology. Um, we must move to the point where some some tangible reparation is done, and that has been the the, the, the position of the Grenada National Reparations Committee and the larger umbrella organisation 
the CARICOM Commission on Reparations. So we, we understand the nature of, of stalling and talking, but we will not give up. We'll, we'll, be, um, we'll persevere in, in terms of fulfilling the 10-point agenda of CARICOM. A lot of people may not know, but um, the CARICOM Commission has a 10-point plan. And what they're asking for, beginning with a formal apology for slavery. But it doesn't end there. There are nine other points which include um, investment in health and education and cultural institutions. So, so we understand, we, we will start with the apology, but we, we also need to, to push to ensure that tangible um, uh, reparative justice is, 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 is implemented. The other thing I would say also is that um, this idea of reparation is not new. It has happened to other groups that have been, um, the injustice has, has been done to them. So it's not new. And the second point is that um, allyship, um, while the Grenada National Reparations Committee and the CARICOM Reparations Committee Commission are in the forefront of this struggle, there is no struggle I can call to mind that hasn't had allies. So we have allies, let's say, in the Trevelyan family, but we will lead the struggle. There's no struggle, whether it's the apartheid in South Africa, whether it's the civil rights movement in the United States, allyship is important. So we will welcome any ally. Wherever they can help us, we will welcome the allyship. And that is our position of the Grenada National Reparations Committee. You say allyship, but there, there is also an obligation as well, right? But, and, and this goes, I wish MP uh, Clive Lewis was here because I was hoping to, to frame this question. Uh, John, if, if, <laughs> uh, for f future conversation, please let Mr. Lewis know that he <laughs> owes us an appearance on the Bub Report in short order. <laughs> Will do. But Will I, do. I, 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 I'm going to uh, really expand this conversation here, Tora, and I, I want to bring in Laura and, and John on, on, on this question. And, and this was a question that I had um, for, um, for, the, uh, for the member of parliament there. Now, back in 2014, a spokesman for uh, William Hague, who at the time served as Britain's foreign secretary under Prime Minister David Cameron, who actually visited Jamaica. When he visited Jamaica and the question of reparations came up, he said, yeah, well, we're going to build a prison for your deportees. <laughs> so there was that back then. Um, but uh, the, the spokesperson for the Foreign Secretary said, quote, no legal claim has been made against the United Kingdom government in relation to reparations for slavery. We do not see reparations as the answer. Instead, we should concentrate on identifying ways forward with a focus on the shared global challenges that face our countries in the 21st century. He goes on to say, quote, we regret and condemn the inequities of the historic slave trade. But these shameful activities uh, belong in the past. Governments today cannot take responsibility for what happened over 200 years ago. Now, <laughs> and, and, this is all, and, and this was back then, but this is happening now against the backdrop of what we're seeing in the UK. There are fissures in, in British society around the Brexit question. Uh, there are several economic anxiety issues that's confronting the United Kingdom. And uh, perhaps I'll begin with John and Laura. What appetite is there uh, in, in, in the British public, do you think, for, for there to be a conversation on reparations, at least at an institutional and at a governmental level, with, with, with this backdrop? Well, Kellon, I think I would say that things are changing, aren't they? I mean, I live in the United States, so I'll let John talk about Britain. Oh. But the Dutch yeah. Prime Minister in December apologised 
for slavery, which is something that no former colonial power has done. And although there's been criticism of the reparation funds that the Dutch set up, nonetheless, there is now a precedent within Europe. And as you will know, currently there's a major effort underway by the repair campaign led by Dennis O'Brien um, of Digicel to work with CARICOM and the University of the West, in West Indies to turn the reparations plans for each member of CARICOM into concrete asks, whether it's investment in health, education, debt forgiveness, with the idea of later this fall beginning a full-scale lobbying campaign of European capitals, EU capitals, and also uh, of Britain. And, uh, you know, there is just so much momentum now in the wake of the King supporting research uh, into the royal family's links with slavery in the wake of the Dutch apology, that change comes slowly, but the process and the conversation is beginning now, uh, almost 190 years after slavery was abolished. It's taken that long to get to this point. But things do now all of a sudden seem to be moving quickly as the whole atmosphere and mood has changed after black, in Europe certainly, and here in the US after Black Lives Matter and the death of George Floyd. So many hard questions have been asked and finally people are trying to answer them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, John, uh, you, you are in the UK. I, I, I follow some of the media over there. I, I listen to LBC. I'm a uh, uh, <laughs> intensive listener of, of LBC and Mr. O'Brien. If you know Mr. O'Brien, <laughs> let him know I'm a fan. <laughs> but the mood in the UK, in, 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 given the, the volatile politics that, that's occurring uh, in the UK, is, is there a, a, a public sentiment for reparations to be added to this debate? Well, finances are hard at the moment, so it's a tricky moment. But as we know, this is, there's never a good time to start talking about reparations. But something that the, um, the British public, I think, are rather ignorant about is that we only just finished paying off a whole series of what you might call reparations in the form of compensation to the slave owners. Now, in 1834, when our family received its so-called compensation uh, at the end of, ending of uh, slavery, the um, amount of money that had to be borrowed by the government was 40% of the UK's GDP that year, 20 million pounds. It was borrowed from bankers such as the Rothschilds. And that money was only paid off finally in 2015, which means effectively we were paying as taxpayers in this country reparations to the slave owners um, all that time. So. I think once you start putting it into context like that and informing people of the reality of, uh, of what reparations might look like, you start to realize, actually, we have been contributing already this. I mean, in the case I'm talking about to families such as uh, for the money paid to families such as ours eight generations ago, or whatever it was. And so I, I think that it's really about information. I think we need to be getting that message out. And I think that's really what our family is trying to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tora, let me, let me bring you in here on, on the same question. The, the approach, uh, uh, and, and, and based on what uh, this uh, foreign, the spokesperson of the former foreign secretary is saying here, uh, and of course the, the context to that statement as well, is the idea that uh, the British government was not formally approached legally by the CARICOM Reparations Committee. That, for example, the CARICOM Reparations Commission did not institute legal action, formal legal action, against Great Britain for uh, these um, atrocities committed against uh, the enslaved in, in the Caribbean. 
So do you think the approach in respect of how uh, reparations uh, is being advanced by your organization uh, is, 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 is the most effective one? In, in other words, you, you are appealing for moral suasion. Why not uh, test the, the theory of reparative justice in, in, in the court system? Right, and, and there's, there's nothing saying right now that we won't get to that step of legal action, um, but you, you have to, to approach the struggle in different ways. You cannot fight your struggle in just one manner. Let's say, for example, going out in the street and protest. So there's nothing saying that there won't be a formal um, court proceedings, but we have, to, we have to be realistic in where we are, where we are starting from. So we need to, we can do, we can do many things at the same time. So we starting where we are, we have made tremendous step, I would say, to getting apologies made, to getting other people involved in the struggle. But we are not ruling out the, 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 the getting to the stage of, of, of appealing directly to the, the British government or the French government or taking legal action. Those are steps. We, we cannot do everything at the same time. It's a slow process, as Laura has said earlier, but there's nothing saying that we wouldn't do, get to that stage of legal action. But, and then you, you got to remember that that's an expensive step you're taking. Once you get to the court, it's long, it's expensive, and it takes resources, which is something none of the, 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 the local reparations committee, including Grenada, can claim, claim to have right now. Okay, um, and I'm going to bring back John because I, I want to respect your time, John. I know that you have to leave soon, but you, you are recently in Grenada. Uh, talk to me about, and, and, and we, we observed the, the media coverage uh, in, in respect of how that went. Obviously, uh, it, it was a polarizing uh, visit for you, uh, especially given the local reaction. But talk to me about your own experience going to Grenada, uh, going to the place where your ancestors uh, amassed significant wealth of, 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 of the backs of our ancestors. Um, what was that like? And, and, and what were some of the biggest takeaways that you took away from you from Grenada? It's a big question, Kellon. I mean, if, <laughs> if, I'm to, if I'm to try and answer that question as simply as possible, it was amazing and awful in, in the same measures, I think, I would say my visit. I was, I was really, really bowled over by the welcome from people. I loved the place. I, you know, it, it was wonderful to be there. Uh, we were generally welcomed very, very favorably. The um, reception at the um, forum was very, very powerful, very, very emotional. I think, I think the, there were two moments that were really stood out to me. We had a Danish film crew following um, the family and the story. Mm -hmm. And we went to one of the estates that the, that the family, um, that family part owned and I was standing on this on this hill going up to where the house used to be and um, I think the reality of it was overpowering because I was in this beautiful place but I knew that terrible things had happened and um, it's hard to express how um, upsetting and um, awful that felt and then and then the second one was they filmed me walking down rows of sugarcane. Now again, sugarcane was the was the way that my family made its money and it exploited um, the enslaved. And walking on, on that sugarcane and, and touching the sugarcane was very very powerful because again I was in touch literally with the stuff that 
the the enslaved had been working with, which was a, you know, it just felt it felt appalling. It, it felt mm -hmm. like a like um you know it 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 was as I say to you it was it was a, I was in a beautiful place experiencing a terrible thing and and the emotions were were running pretty high. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to bring Laura on the same question. Uh, obviously, uh, you, you were in Grenada. I believe this is the second or the third time you visited Grenada. Second, yeah. Uh, you, you spoke at nauseum about um, your how, how you came to connect with, for example, uh, Dr. Nicole Philip Dow, and and and, mm -hmm. and how uh, you know uh, you guys had a conversation about what can you do uh, in respect of uh, your own making a personal contribution, which you made. Um, but the, the same thing, what was it like going back and, and what were some of those takeaways, reflections coming out of that visit? I mean, it was really extraordinary, Kellon, as John has said. And just a couple of days before I went, I talked to Decima Williams, uh, mm -hmm. as you know, the president of Grenada Senate and mm -hmm. uh, a huge figure in the landscape of Grenadian politics, a minister in the revolutionary government and teaching actually a course at Georgetown University this fall. Yes, on the I revolution. was actually at, at her lecture. Yes, yes I went <laughs> too. And it was wonderful to meet yes, her in yes. person because until mm -hmm. then we'd just spoken. And Grenada, uh, and Desma said to me, you know, Laura, when you go to Grenada this time to apologize publicly, you have to remember that people are so angry about slavery in ways that they can't even articulate probably. And that by going as a family, you're going to put a public face on slave ownership. And that is provocative. And it will, you, you just don't know how people are going to be, respond. And you really have to be prepared for that. And I found that to be incredibly useful to have that in my mind, that this was just very emotional. And it was really then summed up by the poet, Nigel DeGale, who spoke just before I did. You know, he delivered his poem as part of the public apology. And he, in his poem, he talked about wanting to live as the slave master had done. And he talked about wanting to sample white women. And... It was so uh, powerful, and I felt that he expressed the rage and the anger about the unfairness of, of slavery, which can never, ever be reversed. In a way, you know, he spoke to exactly what Decima had said people would feel. So mm -hmm. that, to me, it was just, it was overwhelming. But amid that emotion over the past, there was also so much that was positive, and there were... Um, a group of schoolgirls there who all came up afterwards to talk to me, who some of whom I'd met previously when I'd been filming for the documentary with Nicole Philip Dow. And, you know, they're, they're the next generation, they're teenagers, and they had so many questions and so many thoughts. They were so well-informed uh, that I just found, I found it really to be inspiring, actually, the whole, mm -hmm. the whole thing ultimately. And, and one woman came up to me and said, oh, St. Cloud, that's one of the, where the Trevelyans were part ownership. That's where my dad's family is from St. Cloud. That means that your ancestors could have owned mine. And Decima said the same thing. Decima said, oh, Laura, good Lord, my father's family were from St. Cloud. What does this mean? So there was that just, you know, as, uh, as Garfield Hankey, who owns the computer shop in St. George's in Grenada, yeah. uh, who Nicole Philip Dow worked out potentially could have been named for the Mr. Hankey, who was the Trevelyan family agent on Grenada during slavery. He said mm -hmm. to me, last year you know this is deep and that was what i felt at the end of it that mm -hmm. it's deep but hopefully as nicola said to me that if you acknowledge something that's where the healing begins mm -hmm. 
And uh, John, uh, I know that you have to leave, so I I'm going to ask you this question. But the question was asked to your, your cousin Laura. Incidentally, both of you seem to have an interest in, 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 in filmmaking, and uh, <laughs> maybe that runs in the family. But um, a, a, a member of the Grenadian public asked Laura the question about your family's history. Laura indicated that she only found out recently uh, that her family was involved in, uh, in, 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 in the enslavement of, of, of people of African descent at the level at which she did. Is, is it the same with you, John? How, is it, how could you not know? that your descendants, did you never question um, where your descendants' wealth came from? Was that never a question that came up? Was family histories hidden? How, how does that work in your family? I it's, know that families a, keep secrets. but <laughs> Kellon, it's a really, really good question. And I don't think it's just about us and me personally. I think it's about the British population. I mean, the, what we've done mm -hmm. is we've got, we've got kind of selected amnesia about our colonial past. So here we were, this, this, this huge empire, which extended to many parts of the world, um, it, telling us, you know, uh, you know, what we learned about in school was what a great country, what a dynamic country, the Industrial Revolution, how we'd kind of, in, we'd, 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 we'd done these amazing things in the world. And what it neglected to do was tell us about the terrible practices, the extraction, the the enslavement, the, the you know the rich humiliation, the the the, the bondage, it, it it's appalling. So I'm ashamed to say that uh, I don't think we're 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 um we're unique. I think that what happened was that there's selective amnesia in this country, and it wasn't until the UCL um, database, the Legacies of Slavery database, uh, which digitised all the ownership of slaves. Um, mm -hmm. in, and that's the thing that has revolutionized. And I think it's, it's really has been the catalyst for this moment because mm -hmm. none of my father's family's living uh, relatives knew about the, the family's involvement with slavery. The family had expunged that from their kind of history. What they'd done is they'd talked about how their public service and their their philanthropy and their, even their, they, they, they also propagated this notion that really they were an abolitionist um, uh, family because they had many friends and, and had married into an abolitionist kind of um, way of thinking. But actually the reality was what they did was, and I'm sure this is true of many families in Britain, what they did is effectively literally swept the skeletons under the carpet. And it's shameful. And I think, I mean, I, I don't feel guilt about what we did because it isn't something I did but I certainly feel shame and I think that's a it's a difficult one to live with but I I agree with you and Callon I am personally um yeah I, I, on behalf of my family I'm embarrassed by the fact that we didn't know and and I that's why we're trying that's why Laura and me have been so keen on talking to people like you and doing something about about this mm -hmm. Well, uh, John, uh, thank you for appearing on thank the program. Um, we we certainly have you. Absolutely. We have been uh, talking on, on, on WhatsApp, um, but certainly we would want to have you back. Uh, please communicate uh, to MP Lewis that uh, he owes us uh, on the Bob Report. Let's see how we can reschedule things with him. But thank you I'll for being here, that. sir. Thank you. Yes, Bye. absolutely. And uh, we, we will continue this conversation. Uh, Toro, same thing. Uh, uh, our colleague journalist, Kalistra Faria in Grenada, uh, uh, she, she, she intimated that uh, you and, 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 and other members of, of the reparations committee that you guys are just, you know, you, you, you kowtowing to 
uh, neo-colonizers by, you know, just doling out the red carpet to these people who are coming bearing gifts around the question of reparations, uh, Toro. What say you? Well, as, uh, I, as I said earlier, um, um, allyship is important, um, whether yeah. it's in the apartheid struggle, the civil rights movement, um, even in the Grenada context, with the Grenada Revolution of 1979, the, the vanguard movement was the NGM, which you could call a left-wing movement. But there were business people who were on the right in that movement. And when the revolution occurred on March 13, 1979, there were allies on all sides part of the struggle. So allies are important. Um, of course, you'll, you'll check to see who your allies are, check their background, make sure they are genuine. We're not going into this blindly, but uh, of course, allyship is important. I think, of course, you'll have detractors, but I think even those people who may be critical of the reparations movement, I always ask them, okay, so what's the other option? Do nothing? And 99.9% .9 of the people will say, oh, I'm not saying not do anything. So for me personally, the struggle is worth it. I think um, I, and most of us need to do that on behalf of our um, ancestors. They weren't able to struggle for reparations, get reparations. So even if nothing comes of it, at least for me, just getting involved in the struggle um, is important. And I think we need to do it. As I said, um, ask someone whether, okay, you criticize the reparations movement, maybe criticize the strategy, but what's the option? Sit on our hands, do nothing. And most people will say, no, I'm not saying, and do nothing. So the struggle continues. You know, we have a lot of work to do, bringing other people on board on all sides of the, 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 the racial issue, whether white, black, brown, whatever, all economic class, um, all parts of the world. We have to bring them on board, of course, and educate them. A lot of people are unaware, for example, on the CARICOM 10-point reparations plan. This is something we need to share. Let people know what's involved. A lot of people say, oh, you guys are only looking for money. No, it's not just about money. Um, that, was, uh, that was the, uh, the, the mainstream media narrative in Grenada right. at the time, that uh, uh, the, the, the Trevelyan family, yeah. uh, again, it's, when we say the Trevelyan family, that, that's Laura's money. That's her personal right. money. Um, well, if I would say that family are, yeah. family are giving more, actually, in addition okay. to me. <laughs> right, so right, right. Okay, well, we, we, we can actually talk about that. But, but the point about it is that the conversation was framed around uh, money. In fact, many people thought that uh, uh, members of the Grenada National Reparations Committee, they were just going to be pocketing this money. I guess they <laughs> thought that, uh, you know, Ali Gill and others were going to be you know, getting money for, for, for this. But, 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 but you, you get the point. So the, the point is that there has to be a lot of education, you say. Yes, absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And also getting other people involved. In, it's, it's not, we don't want this to look like it's an elitist thing, that just a few people are doing this work. We may be leading in the struggle, but it's a struggle that everyone who is willing should be involved in, and we ought to try and bring them in. I was just yes. writing an email this afternoon to a family whose ancestors own plantations in Jamaica, and as you both know and your audience knows, the fraught history of Jamaica is particularly abominable, partic mm -hmm. especially the post-emancipation slaughter of a thousand Jamaicans lo long after the end of slavery. Uh, mm -hmm. But I was emailing just this afternoon with a family who asked me 
what should we do? Who should we speak to? And I said, well, you know, you should talk to the chair of Jamaica's reparations committee. So I think the fact that there is a structure in place, the fact that there is a roadmap, I think if you're talking to families thousands of miles away on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean who want to try to do something about what their ancestors did, the fact that CARICOM has this reparations plan, the fact that every island has a committee, the fact there's someone you can talk to, I think it's it's hugely significant for those who, who don't live in the Caribbean, know it, understand it. You know, the mm-hmm. fact that there is something there to hold on to is important. And uh, Laura, I, I would I have a follow-up question. I, I would go back before uh, getting to what your, your, your future looks like in respect of uh, your own allyship, as, as, as Mr. Depardine has articulated this. Allyship, yes. And, you know, someone joked that uh, our ancestors um, troubled your spirit. And, and so that troubling of the spirit caused you to retire early from the British Broadcasting Corporation as a reporter. Laura, what was I was surprised. I was I was well. Okay, so kindly explain. Uh, what did you retire? What, what's happening there? Did you go? No, I mean I. Retirement leave. What, um, what's happening there? No, I've left. I've left the BBC because mm-hmm. I couldn't stay at the BBC and adhere to our very strict codes about impartiality, and join the Caribbean's fight for reparatory justice. I walked the line as far as I could. And then I began to feel that I was tripping over it. And a particular incident came to mind where the Radio Times, which is a big listings magazine in Britain, asked me to write a viewpoint, an opinion piece about King Charles and what the royal family should do. This is a couple of months ago, long before uh, you know they signaled that they are, in fact, supporting research into the royal family's links to slavery. And so the BBC has a pretty Byzantine process if you write anything that's public. It has to be approved by somebody internally, of course, and it has to not conflict with the impartiality guidelines. And, you know, it basically can't be anything you wouldn't say on the air. And at the end of the Radio Times piece, the Radio Times editor said, well, can't you just say at the end of it, Laura, the king's, you know, our families apologize. Why can't the king? And I said, no, I can't say that. I can say, on the one hand, the king could do this. On the other hand, he can do that. But I can't say that's what he should do. But that was what I really wanted to say. And so I felt like, you know, I've had such an amazing career, which I've loved every minute of it for 30 years. I've achieved everything that I wanted to. And then here was something else that I wanted to do where, you know, Sir Hilary Beckles really persuaded me that it would be important to have this, example in the debate of somebody from a family whose ancestors owned slaves but this is this has been a missing part of it until now and so I thought well okay if I could make a difference here then I'm 54 years old I would like to have another act I would like to try and so I'm excited this week actually to go to the state of the black world conference in Baltimore where the theme, as you'll know, this year is reparations and healing, and where Grenada's Prime Minister, Dickon Mitchell, is a keynote speaker. I, I would actually, I would actually be at that event as well. Covering well, I it, hope so. that we'll I, meet. I'll, I'll get to meet you for the first time in person. Yes. <laughs> well, aren't you excited by that though? The fact that Ghana's leader is going to be there, Mia Motley, the Barbadian Prime Minister, is a Prime keynote Minister, speaker. Yes, she's going to be there as well. Well, mm-hmm. just the fact that so much is happening, there's so much to say. The African mm-hmm. Union has moved on reparations. It's 
you know, and to me as someone who in my career at the BBC travelled all over the world, tried to join the dot for the audience, I feel like with this debate, there's, you know, there's a journalistic role, there's a reporting role, as you know, and I'm being asked to do so much writing for British newspapers and, and interviews that, that I feel there's a public education role, which is important, which, which can, you know, one can try to assist with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Has there been, within the context of your own family, has there been any pushback uh, to the overtures that you and uh, John and others have made in, in um, uh, coming forward in the way that you did? Is, is everyone on board in the family with this? That's a great question. Is one, is one family ever united on anything, Kellen, I would ask? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, no, exactly. <laughs> so and if you think, especially, you know, we're talking seven, eight generations since the original Sir John Trevelyan marries Louisa Simon. She's the daughter of the West Indian merchant, as they used to euphemistically refer to them, or slave trader. So there are probably a thousand descendants of the original Sir John. Uh, 104 signed our family letter, and there's probably a group, you know, of about that size now. But absolutely, people have parted company along the way. People have felt philosophically, you can't apologize for something you didn't do. This is a dangerous precedent. What is this going to mean for me? Are people from Grenada going to come and try to take my home? You know, I'm a pensioner living on a fixed income. Well, what is what is all of this? So, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely concern about what... But, but also, a lot of people were persuaded by Sir Hilary Beckles joining a Zoom call last summer with our family, in which he spoke so eloquently and so forcefully and with such historical context that he persuaded doubters in our family of the power of an apology. Uh, the power of an apology. Uh, uh, Tori, anything else you wish to add there in terms of um, what, what, what Laura articulated? Uh, of course, as a journalist, uh, Tori, yourself, you know. Uh, that 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 when you know at least when I worked in Grenada. Now I teach journalism to my students here, and uh, we we are guided by ethics. Uh, we we have an entire module on ethics. Yes, yeah. and um, th- th- these are ethics that you're guided by. I can't uh, go out uh, on a limb in in my particular role here on 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 the Bobby Port and say things <laughs> that uh, that that would present uh, an appearance of bias, you know, even though people still accuse you of being biased. You can be the most unbiased person. I'm sure Laura knows this. The BBC gets accused of bias. At least in the context of the BBC, yeah. there is um, there are particular <laughs> protocols that the public can follow in, in filing complaints. I wish that existed in Grenada. But, but Tori, <laughs> any thoughts on what Laura just said? Yes, uh, and I just would like just like to 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 to, to make the connection that. Um, Struggles are linked, even though we, we may not make the connections. So for instance, if we look, take Grenada, for example, has been thrust into the middle of this reparations issue, and sort of by accident. When you look at the struggle of Grenada, um, slavery, the Federal Rebellion, the Grenada Rev- Gary Revolution of 1951, the Grenada Revolution of 1979, and then we have a young prime minister, and there's a global conference coming up, and he's chosen to be the keynote speaker. I mean, all, the history is so, is so linked, but we don't think about it. And as I said, Grenada has been central to so much, a huge part of the history of the Caribbean. And here we are once again, and we sort of help to, to put the reparations issue on this, this, the middle of the agenda of the Caribbean and of the world. And um, that's something, um, as I said, occurred at center. 
but we have to embrace it, as I said before, and to reiterate the point I made before on which Laura said, the education aspect of it. We ourselves have to be, get more educated on the struggle. There's a lot we don't know, and there's a lot those in the public don't know. So we all have well, to learn. Perhaps, so, so as, as I've always been advocating that there needs to be, and, and we, we hear this talk, and it's really frustrating because we hear all these conversations about we need to get educated, we need to get educated on this, we don't know this, we don't know that. But you look at the school's curriculum. You look at the priority that we give to history in our school's curriculum, that we still tell people Christopher Columbus discovered Grenada. How could you discover a place that people live? the entire Western Hemisphere people live there. So there, there is a lot that needs to be done. I, I, I get exercised over this as an educator, I'm sorry. But but Kellon, Nicole Philip Dow is, has written a history of Grenada for school yes. children, which is being published, I think, this year and, I, I, and will be on the curriculum. So, you know, change is, is coming. And I, I wanted to just yeah. echo what Lincoln said about Surely it's no coincidence that Grenada is leading once again in the Caribbean, that Grenada is leading on the reparations issue. You know, this island, I say to people in Britain, it's the size of the Isle of Wight, which is a small island off the south coast of Britain because the, the population is about the same. But Grenada, it seems to me, has just always punched above its weight. And yet again, here it is. Yeah. And yeah. I, just want to, I just want to make a... Just Go before to Kellon, yeah. as we... We spoke earlier about um, taking legal action against European government. And again, um, like the education part, the school curriculum, we all agree should be revised and um, a new curriculum introduced. But as again, we can't sit and say, well, we are not going to do anything if that doesn't happen. That's a long, hard struggle, just by taking these governments to court. So in the meantime, we'll do what we can do. Um, through your programs, through other programs, through Laura's writing, we, we'll engage in education. Getting to the curriculum part is the ideal. But yeah. I know you are a real, realistic um, man, and you understand that will take a long time coming. So in the meantime, we've got to do something. The, I have to play the devil's advocate <laughs> over here. <laughs> uh, but folks, we will, we will take uh, the final break of the program. And then uh, we will come back uh, in our concluding comments. We will talk about the way forward, what uh, the momentum that, that the reparations uh, our struggle has gained in, in recent time, maintaining that momentum and, and, and really getting to results in respect of deliverables based on that 10-point CARICOM reparations plan. So uh, please stand by, folks. Uh, we will be right back after this. Uh, very proud of what you're doing, and I think it's uh, it's much needed. So thank you so much for your contribution. Thank you. thank you again for watching the Bub Report. Viewers and listeners, we want to thank you uh, sincerely. Ashley, thank you so very much. Uh, Senator Chester Humphrey, welcome to the Bub Report. Mr. Mitchell, welcome to the program. Uh, the Honorable Jumani Williams, uh, we call him Jumani, who is uh, the public advocate for the city of New York. The, the Honorable Basby Opande, uh, former Prime Minister of the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. Mr. Pandey, welcome to the Bub Report of Grenada. Uh, the Honorable Tobias Clement. Uh, Mr. Clement, welcome to the Bub Report. I, I, is it Nikoli or Nikolai? I hope I pronounced it. Nikolai. It's Nikolai. Thank you. Yeah. And, and welcome to the program. Her Excellency Ambassador Luan Gilchrist. Uh, Mr. Randall Robinson, you are here in your private capacity and in your personal capacity. Yesterday we learned that you were detained by law enforcement in Grenada. So you come from a family of public servants. Yes, you are a family of public servants. You're saying that you have to do more, but my question is, 
What have you done as, as president of the union to ensure that that happens? Absolutely. To the cards that I have drawn that I am the minister at this point in time. And for members of the but public... But you're also a servant of the people. Why would we have ambassadors representing the state that do not understand clearly what their terms of reference are? And viewers and listeners, welcome back to uh, this bonus edition, bonus Sunday edition of the Bob Report. Of course, our regular uh, Bob Report episode was aired this morning at 10 a.m., so you can always go back and check out the program on our social media pages and watch the program this evening at 8 p.m. on WPG10 in St. George's, as well as on the Grenada Broadcasting Network on Sunday at 5 p.m., as well as on CRFM Radio Sunday, uh, sorry, Wednesday at 5 p.m., uh, Wednesday at 4 p.m. as well on CRFM Radio to catch repeat episodes of this week's program. But I want to bring back uh, Laura as, as, as we get to the end of the program and, and Toro and talk about, uh, Laura, how, do you, how would you define your role? Uh, Toro used an apt word earlier, allyship. How are you going to define your role? I got a sense that your families have reached out to you, uh, that you're engaging in a lot of conversation with families in the U.K., do you see yourself as, as, as being that individual who would be able to uh, speak to those families and educate them in terms of what you have been able to, to do and, and perhaps a roadmap for them to get involved as well? Yes, I think I'm uh, hoping to see it as a dual role. And actually, John mm -hmm. and I are part of a group of families who will launch a new organization in a week or so's time, all families whose ancestors profited from transatlantic slavery. And we're going to come forward and acknowledge our own role and past. And we're also going to support the various reparatory justice initiatives that are underway. We're going to support CARICOM's initiative. We're going to call on Britain's government to you know, engage in negotiations based on that. And we uh, hope you know, later on that we can organize a conference, perhaps late next year or uh, of the late this year, early the following year, in which we can encourage all of the people that have come forward in so many areas of British life. You now have universities, you have the Church of England, uh, you have the Historic Palaces Association, you have the Guardian newspaper, you have all this acknowledgement in Britain that actually Britain's wealth was built to some degree on slavery. And for Britain, this is a revelation. I know for the Caribbean, this is not. But the fact that this debate is finally being had in Britain, uh, so I want to do everything that I possibly can to encourage, encourage that debate and also to advocate specifically on behalf of that CARICOM plan. You know, there's an opportunity now with the way that the University of the West Indies economists are working with CARICOM and Dennis O'Brien's repair movement to identify specific plans for each island. You know, there'll be actual numbers for health and education, uh, the amounts which are needed, and numbers on debt forgiveness, for example. So I think, you know, as a, as a journalist, that there's a story to be told there, for sure, and a story that can be told in Britain, that, you know, this is what Grenada is, this is what reparations would look like for Grenada. And, you know, in Britain, there'll be an election next year, there might be a change of government, who knows what will happen, but this is a moment where there's just so much momentum that you can feel and so I want to do anything that I can to push it forward mm -hmm. absolutely and uh, we will be watching this space we love to say here on the bar report we watch the space to see what what that looks mm -hmm. like 
uh, it's a very interesting time indeed for this for, for this issue. Um, Toro, uh, the, the future, I know that uh, there are some activities happening with respect to, I know that there is an event happening, uh, Let's Talk Reparations, that's happening in St. George's next week. There is also a memorial lecture happening. So could you tell us about what the local reparations committee in Grenada continues to do this year? Right. Um, the local reparations committee, Grenada National Reparations Committee, they will be having ongoing activities. As you mentioned, the lecture um, will be having African Wear Day, the race consciousness about Africa. Um, the, the National Reparations Committee and the Caribbean Reparations Movement have no doubt that it will continue. The players may change, but this movement has come alive and it will remain there. My concern both for the Grenada National Reparations Committee and the Regional Committee is whether there will be actual buy-in from the government, because I think for this, for the work to move expeditiously and effectively, there's got to be some governmental backing. Um, as we mentioned earlier, for the governments of Europe talking, yes, talk is one thing, but you also need material support to do a lot of the work. So my real concern about the future of the movement is about getting institutional and governmental backing for the work that is needed to be done. And the work will be going for many, many years. So as, far, as I said, as far as I'm concerned, the committees will remain. The consciousness about reparations is there. But I, what I would like to see going forward is more governmental backing and institutional backing for the movement, both in Grenada and in the region of the Caribbean. You saying governmental and institutional backing from uh, indigenous Caribbean governments. Yes. Yes. Uh, I yes. want to be that's, clear. That's what I'm speaking uh, about. Yeah. Are, are you suggesting that there isn't an appetite by uh, at the institutional level for this conversation? I must say I haven't seen it. Maybe there is work happening in the background. Um, so I'm just speaking about the Grenada National Reparations Committee. Um, as far as I've, I've um, to this point where I'm speaking to you today, I I don't think there have been any tangible contribution to the, the committee, whether it's in terms of material space, whether it's in terms of whatever, there has been any um, tangible offer. So um, as far as I'm concerned, at this point, I haven't seen anything, but I, I think we need to see more that the government is out there back in this and said it's not just a few guys out there working hard to, to, to bring reparative justice for the former enslaved. Well, but, but Tor, you know, you, you know, anytime government gets involved at a particular level, it becomes politicized. And, you know, well, well, well uh, we can't get away from politics. I mean, not telling them to take over the committee. I mean, I mean, just like they give subvention for spice masks, they give subvention for a whole bunch of things. We're not asking them to take over. We'll be watching them very closely. But uh, I don't see how we could do this work because at the moment, most of the committees um, survive with out-of-pocket contributions from the members. We can't it's, it's volunteerism. Right. Uh, we can't do that forever, you know? So mm -hmm. at some level. Oh, but uh, there, there is always a cautionary tale there. Uh, we, of we course, are of out course. Of time. <laughs> We're out of time. This is a very important conversation. I want to respect you people's time. It's, it's a Sunday afternoon. Laura, you're in New York. I'm in D.C. The weather is beautiful. It is. Except I, I may not go outside because my allergies uh, are killing me today. <laughs> oh, no. I really want to enjoy, uh, maybe in the afternoon, uh, enjoy a walk in the park. But I want to thank both of you uh, for uh, uh, coming on the program, especially in the wake of the Trevelyan family apology in Grenada, historic apology. 
in the wake of what has happened since then, what, what appears to be a snowball uh, series of activities, the Guardian coming forward, uh, 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 King Charles uh, coming forward, um, and it, you know, to his credit, his, his, his mother didn't do that, uh, but <laughs> he came forward and, and, and said on the record that this is what uh, they're going to do. So, so I want to thank both of you for uh, agreeing to appear on, on the Burb Report uh, to have this conversation. Viewers and listeners, as a reminder, this program will be aired, repeated on, at, the, at the 7 o'clock hour um, here on, 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 on the Burb Report platform, as well as in Grenada on, on, on a later date. So I want to thank all of you for appearing on the Burb Report. Again, viewers, uh, guests, thank you. Viewers and listeners, thank you for participating. And this is where we say goodbye. Take care. Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Burb Report social media pages. If you'd like to get more videos, show highlights, and watch our weekly live show, follow our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can catch repeat episodes on Wednesdays at 4 and 5 p.m. respectively on CRFM Radio and GBN TV in Grenada. We are also viewed on Sundays at 8 p.m. on WPG10 throughout the Caribbean. Thanks for watching. family uh, we apologize for the late start of course there's uh, there's some technical difficulties that you have to figure out sometimes and that's what we had to do but we're here and we're glad that you're here right um, and thank you for, for sticking it out with us um, welcome to another edition of the road ahead temple family my name of course is Frederick Morton jr. I'm the founder chairman and chief executive officer of temple network and uh, we are pleased once again, to have you join us here on the road ahead for another riveting discussion on one of the most important topics impacting the Caribbean, at least I believe, particularly as we navigate through the unprecedented COVID-19 pandemic. And that topic is reparations. Now, reparations is about addressing the devastating impact of perhaps the darkest chapter in human history, the extraordinary crime against humanity, slavery. Making the case for the colonial empires, including the United Kingdom and Portugal and France and Spain and Holland and so many others, that profited greatly from the slave trade to participate in solving the myriad of problems that they created. Now today, we discuss the specific case for Caribbean reparations, CARICOM's leadership in this area, and specifically the 10-point action plan that was created to guide this process. In this regard, we are privileged to have with us a very distinguished panel of experts, a lovely panel of experts, I might say. And uh, we are uh, ready to go and, and to tackle this, this very uh, provocative issue. Uh, in moderating, I, I am joined by my esteemed co-host, Mr. Hugh Riley, 
partner at the TM Marketing Group and former Secretary General of the Caribbean Tourism Organization, who as customary will introduce our esteemed guest panel. Hugh, good afternoon to you. How are you doing? Shepherd, who is a social historian, a vice chair of the United Nations Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, director of the Center for Reparation Research, and the immediate past director of the Institute for Gender and Development Studies at the University of the West Indies. A published author, she's written several books, many on subjects which we will be discussing today. Most recently, she was one of 60 women included in the Gleaners Jamaican Women of Distinction for 20 years. Professor Maureen Shepherd, welcome to The Road Ahead. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Barbreen Lamard is chairman of the Antigua and Barbuda Reparations Support Commission, a government-appointed commission whose mandate includes organizing education and awareness programs concerning reparations for the enslavement of our ancestors and establishing links with organizations in your mandate. He is a management consultant and author, a director, and a playwright who has written five plays. He is also a cultural maker, judge, and analyst. He awarded the 10 Friends of the Arts Sunshine Award for contributions to arts and culture in the Caribbean. Mr. Doreen Omar, welcome. Thanks so much. It's my honor, my privilege. Great to have you with us. The Honorable Kozier Frederick is a member of parliament in the government of the Commonwealth of Dominica, presenting a constituency which includes the Caranago Territory. His portfolio is Minister for Environment, Rural Modernization, and Caranago Upliftment. He serves on the Dominica Reparations Committee and the Caranago Events Committee. Minister Frederick is a researcher, an educator, martial artist, careful now, uh, <laughs> and, and works with numerous youth organizations, civic groups, and the Caranago Council. Uh, he is a regional and international speaker on Caranago heritage and was Dominica's uh, country coordinator of the International Caribbean Ties Exhibition produced in the Netherlands in 2019. Minister Kozia Frederick, welcome to The Road Ahead. Frederick, that's our distinguished panel. Yes. Let's proceed. Yes, distinguished indeed. <laughs> now, um, uh, welcome everyone uh, once again. Um, now, a few months ago, uh, you would have um, recall that we began this discussion with uh, another panel of leading experts, um, including Sir Hilary Beckles, uh, the Vice Chancellor of the University of West Indies. And um, now I absolutely love how uh, Sir Hilary summarizes the issue of reparations. <laughs> he does it in such a succinct and, and concise way uh, for everybody to understand. So, so let's, uh, let's take a moment to listen to what he said um, in terms of, of bringing a context to this discussion, and then we'll jump off. Uh, let's, let's have a listen.
before we can discuss reparations itself, uh, we first need to address, in my opinion, the context in which the need for reparation arose. Uh, Sir Hillary, uh, I have heard you succinctly and eloquently uh, summarize the historical and contextual underpinnings uh, of slavery uh, that formed the foundation of the reparations case on many, many occasions. Uh, and you do that brilliantly. I would like to lean on you once again uh, to do so uh, as we begin this discussion. So Hillary. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's a tremendous honor and pleasure to, to be with my colleagues on this panel and, and also to uh, uh, engage your, your audience on this very important uh, matter. When we speak of reparatory justice in the context of the, the African experience in the modern world, what we are talking about is the greatest crime that has been committed in respect of humanity in the last three to 400 years. We are looking at, in the first instance, a Western uh, economic structure that sought to maximize its production, its profitability, and its income generation. And the way they went about doing that was to globally enslave millions of African people, not only in the Americas, but in other parts of the world. It was indeed a global economic system. Slavery and the chattel, the chattel enslavement of black people, and we're not speaking about slavery in generic terms. We are speaking about a specific kind of enslavement, which we call chattel slavery, mm -hmm. where you convert people into property you deny their humanity. They are not part of the human family. They belong to a special species of property. You legislate that. You build that into a constitution. And you take millions of people, reduce them to the level of chattel real estate and property, exploit them for your own enrichment. And at the end of that process, you said you're going to walk away from it. It's in the past. It's behind you. That historical experience is very much a contemporary experience. The legacies of that crime and the diversity of the crime, the legacies are with us all around us today. You and I, we are very much still the victims of this. So we cannot disconnect that historical circumstance where this enormous crime was perpetrated from the consequences of it today in my time and in your time in our parents' time, this is the world in which we live today. And as such, we are entitled to justice. Crimes must be litigated, they must be settled. And until it is done, the challenge of victims feeling a lack of trust and commitment in the modern world, and those who believe that they could brush this under a carpet, walk away from it, don't look back, that that is not the way in which the world can proceed. Very powerful. Right. So there we we have uh, Sir Hillary's distinct delivery of the the, the issue. Um, let's start with you, uh, Professor Shepard. Right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, one of the first things you do um, typically when you've done something wrong. Or, or you've caused harm or pain to someone, uh, we know is to apologize, right? Absolutely. And um, that is, in fact, the first point, and I assume that that's why it's there in the CARICOM's 10-point plan. 
yes. um, of action. Can you provide some context to that, um, that apologetic statement that is necessary? And uh, in doing so, you could perhaps outline the, the entire plan for us. Okay, right. So you heard Hillary talk about the crime against humanity. And so that is the justification for the demand for an apology because an apology is necessary as you have outlined when you commit a crime, when you do something wrong. And he has very eloquently explained what we are facing, what is, it, it, what is the crime. So uh, the CARICOM 10 point action plan rightly starts with the demand for a full formal apology. A full formal apology owns up to a wrong that is done. That's the first thing. There are three dimensions for an apology. A proper apology. You own up to the wrong. You say, yes, I did this, or my country did this. You apologize for, for what happened. You say, it was wrong, we're culpable, and yes. And then you commit to repair and non-repetition. So that's there. But let me explain that the plan is not a sequential. In other words, if we never get an apology, we're not moving on to other parts of the plan. So the second um, point is Indigenous Peoples Development Program. The third is repatriation for those who desire it. And repatriation, by the way, is interpreted more broadly than being taken back, fully funded, to the place from which you were stolen. This is about also returning artifacts and documents that reside elsewhere and not in our space. Then number four, the building of cultural institutions. Number five, the attention to public health crisis. Then we go on to illiteracy eradication, the rebuilding of an African knowledge program, psychological rehabilitation because of the harm of slavery and colonialism on our mental state and our psyche, technology transfer, and then debt cancellation, debt write-off, and monetary compensation. Now, monetary compensation only because of the, the money, the 20 million that was um, paid to enslavers, we're asking back for that, as well as the, what apprenticeship would have valued. But apart from that, it's a development package that we're asking for. But an apology is very important. Other people have been given an apology, but in our space, People, states and leaders have gone around it to issue statements of regret or to express deep sorrow. That is not an apology. People make the mistake of thinking that that is an apology. It is not an apology. And so we are saying an apology is, is due. And we reject the notion that some people are using to deny us the apology, saying that it's too far in the past. So they are using theory of distance to disconnect the crime, the historic wrong, from the contemporary legacies of that crime. Okay. Well, well, two things. Um, well, there's so much that flows from your statement, um, but two things that I'd like to follow up on. Um, the, the first is, who, has there been any nation, any country, that has issued the form of apology that is delineated in in the 10-point plan um and then well let's 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 start with yeah. that okay so uh, the the first serious demand from a 
stage perspective would have been made during the bicentennial 2007 when um, Britain and its allies would have been joining to quote-unquote celebrate the passing of the act to end the transatlantic trafficking in enslaved Africans. And so that was an occasion when civil society groups states demanded an apology from the, from the UK in our case. That was not forthcoming. What the Prime Minister Anthony Blair did was to say, we regret, we're sorry. But, and then other ones have continued like former Prime Minister David Cameron when he came to the region in 2015, in the same year that Britain finished paying off the loan it borrowed to pay the planters the, the compensation money. And he said, we don't believe that's the way to go. Let's go forward and forget about slavery. And others have towed this line. So no, they have not, though they have um, apologized to other people. Uh, I remember when the Queen of England went to Ireland in 2011, and even before that in 1997, uh, 19, 1997, when former Prime Minister Tony Blair went to Ireland, they did offer some kind of apology for you know, colonialism. But so far, they have given apologies to other groups. For example, the Prime Minister, former Prime Minister of Australia to the Aboriginal people, um, you know, Kevin Rudd. But, and in the United States, states have apologized, but not the federal government, you see. So they, we are calling on states, not just financial institutions and educational institutions, to make the full formal apology and so that we can go um, to the next step. Okay, I'm going to ask one follow-up question, and then I'm sure yes. my co-host, uh, Hugh Riley, will want to jump in. Um, you did say that um, an apology or the 10-point plan is not sequential. Yes. Um, and, uh, and so we could, we, you know, we, we, I guess it would suffice if certain parts of the plan were addressed without the apology. Um, in, in that regard, I mean, how, how, how important is it to hear, to, to get yes. that up? Well, we're still calling for it. And yes, you're right. I did say it's not sequential because we have been working on other, on other parts of the plan. The, I direct, as you, I was introduced as a director of the Center for Reparation Research, which was established in 2017 by the University of the West Indies at the request of the heads of government. And we have been having seminars on the 10-point action plan. We have been doing the research and finding the justification for say, illiteracy eradication or for psychological rehabilitation. And I've given lectures on, on, on psychological rehabilitation and involved psychologists and psychiatrists in that. So we are teaching and disseminating knowledge about the justification for the 10 points. And these are also in any conversation or any, any lecture we give or any conversation we had with any representative of state. For example, in our space, the High Commissioner um, for the UK um, in Jamaica or in other parts of the Caribbean. So we use the plan as a negotiating strategy, but we are still saying that the full formal apology, should, it should occur to anyone of conscience. That mm. is the first thing you ought to do. Right, right, right. Well, you get no objections from me on that. Uh, um, <laughs> Mr. Riley. Yeah, well, thank you, Pro Professor Shepard. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you've given such an interesting um, explanation of, of where we are uh, on, on the whole business of reparatory justice. And one of my questions, actually, I have two questions, and mm -hmm. both uh, at the same time. 
Um, one is what, what's the region's response then as, as, as a Caribbean group uh, to the matter of, of reparations? And you did explain that there's been a lot of, of discussion at the uh, level of government to government. And, uh, and certainly you yourself and the academic institutions have gone to the trouble of teaching what this is all about. But my, the second part of my question really is, how are Caribbean people engaged mm -hmm. in this? Is, is it entirely an academic discussion at this stage? Absolutely not. Caribbean no. really engaged with this business of reparations? We, the national committees on reparation, um, they're called different things. The National Commission, the National Council, the Support uh, Committee, whatever it's called, we have national bodies in many Caribbean countries. And again, this was one of the strategies laid down by the heads of government. And the, the, the members are from a diverse group of people. In Jamaica, for example, and I'm sure um, in Antigua, Barbuda, we have Rastafari. You know, we have representatives of the churches. We have academics. We have trade unionists. So it's a broad-based conscientizing in our space process. In other words, we're educating and we're having conversations with NGOs and civil society organizations, with teachers and with students. In fact, the St. Lucia Reparation Committee has partnered with the Center for Reparation Research on a year-long school lecture series to ensure that the children get this information. So it is not a top-down effort. It's lateral, and it's, it's, it's taking place all over the Caribbean. And also, we have engaged internationally. We have connections with the National African American Reparation Commission in the United States. We have partners in, the, in EU countries, in Sweden, in the Netherlands, we, we have in the UK. So it's broad-based, and we are trying to build a mass movement um, for this, not just academic, not just state. Because you know states require support from the constituency. We have, um, before you continue, um, you, uh, folks, you have noticed that uh, we've lost uh, two participants. Um, I believe that there's been some sort of technical difficulty that uh, is being worked out, but they'll be back. So, Professor Shepard, you're more than capable of holding the fort down. So, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we realize that, in fact. So, so oh, here's Minister Frederick. I see the minister is back now, yes. Yes, in, indeed. Yeah. Um, uh, my, my, my point remains, so that we're more than capable. <laughs> um, you, you have a follow-up question? If not, I, I do have a question. Please, please go yeah. ahead. Please go ahead. Hugh? Yeah, please go ahead. Okay, well, all right, fantastic. Well, um, Professor Shepard, you, you touched on something, um, and, and clearly this cannot just be an academic uh, discussion no. for it to really take root. So it's heartening to hear that, that you know, it, it's not seen that way. Uh, and that it's moving in a more broad-based discussion. Even if it is um, seen that way, that's not the truth, is what I'm saying. Right, okay. The people Fair enough. who may Fair perceive enough. it that way, but on the ground, it, it, I don't see how they could. We even had a run for reparation, a youth run, a youth rally for reparation. Okay. It moved up from, you know, Antigua Barbuda, Barbados, Guyana, 
And the center has actually been going around. Well, COVID has interrupted that. But we yes, were in the Caribbean to talk to media. I mean, I've been to Antigua Barbuda on the TV. So we are using media. And that is why we thank you so much for this platform. Um, because media, are, the various forms of media are important to get our message out. And Indeed. there, we are everywhere. Um, trying to educate about this issue. Awesome, awesome. Well, you certainly have Temple Networks, as we've mentioned before, as a main, pla a major platform to, to mm -hmm. disseminate this information. You can count on us. Um, there, there is a. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> there is. Um, you you did mention, and this is a this is a very um, interesting topic for me. I mean. Um, mm -hmm. The, the, the part of the plan that talks about the psychological impact of, yes. of slavery, right? So yes. um, the, the Honorable Robert Nestamali said, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. Well, actually, mm -hmm. it was Marcus Garvey, Marcus right? Garvey. Um, yeah, it was Marcus Garvey. But, but, but a lot of folks will say it was Bob. He popularized. <laughs> yeah, he popularized. That's okay. We it's all quote from other people, right? That's, and, it, that's um, exactly work. right. Yeah, that's exactly. okay. Well, I, I, I am a Garveyite because for many reasons, but I also I was born on the same day as Marcus Garvey, which is August wow. 17th. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I'm a Garvey for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but he did say emancipate yourself from mental slavery. Yes. So so give us a sense of the impact of slavery on our mentality, our thinking, our psychological, you know, our perspective and view that it that has caused it this this sort of a you know, devastating impact in so many areas. Uh, can you give us a sense of that? Well, first of all, let me say, I'm not a medical doctor and I have not diagnosed people, right? But right. we are looking, we are looking in our society to see certain manifestations of what our conversation with psychologists and, and psychiatrists would say, well, you know, that's a manifestation of a person or a, a society or a set of people who have lost something. And I see that, I think we are not too clear about our, our origins and identity. And even if we are clear, not everyone wants to accept. If you go into a room before you give a lecture and you put up your hands how many people are African, I guarantee you won't even get 10% of people in our space doing that, okay? So, that's a sign that you are denying your origin and your identity, which goes back to Africa for the majority of people across the Caribbean. Then we have these pro-colonial tendencies. We, we, we are, it's almost like we're a people suffering from identity theft. People stole our identity, they stole our names. They told us our spirituality, our beliefs were wrong. They told us that they changed our names. They, they even taught us to be ashamed of the black skin, even though Marcus Garvey said it's not a badge of shame. But many people are bleaching because they are ashamed of their black skin. Um, or in our Caribbean, I don't know if you have ever confronted this. Mm -hmm. uh, we have heard people give people nickname of Blackie, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, 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 yes, and, and, and stuff like that. There are even people whose surname is slavery because the, the plantation owner did that to denigrate 
our people. We are arguing in our in 2020 about hairstyles. That oh you it's not corporate so you can't wear rasta locks or sister locks. And in Jamaica we have a case where a young right. girl was told don't come back because that hairstyle is going to you know is not okay for school and also it will attract you know lights and junjo and all this kind of thing. So I'm saying that psychologically we are damaged because of the oppressive nature of enslavement because of the oppressive nature of this crime, because of the rape, the sexual torture of our mothers, our grandmothers, our family. And so we see it coming out in many ways. We don't even want to make Caribbean history something that children should study, you know? Um, I don't want to go on and on about it. But I'm, and look at the poetry of some of our people, especially when they are in exile, when they live abroad. Look at Una Marston. She has written poems like kinky, um, kinky black hair, kinky blues, you know, I am black, you know, they call me nigger. And if you read all those in exile, all the literature of people written in, uh, who, who have been in exile, meaning voluntary, yes, but they're not in the Caribbean for one reason or another, they are away and they write back, Lamine and others, wait. So we know what the effects are, and psychologists are telling us what the effects are. We need to repair that, but the reason it's on the 10-point plan is that it can be repaired with more social infrastructure to address that um, mental health facilities, and also educational institutions so that we don't discriminate against people who are mentally challenged. Mm -hmm. Mr. Riley, what an amazing answer, eh? I, I think so. Um, some of what uh, you've said, Professor Shepard, we uh, really would love to hear. Uh, More. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. And uh, Dorbreen Omar uh, is, is uh, uh, ready and willing to talk about some of that. Unfortunately, he dropped out of the, uh, of the panel at the moment because of our technical issues. I don't think Dorbreen's back yet. Uh, one of the things that uh, Professor Shepard that's so poignant you know, is that there are people who are saying, well, you know, why are, we, why are we talking about this now? Why do we want an apology now? I mean, it's so far uh, in the past. Uh, and then you bring it all right home to us and to the present and start looking at the effects that this genocidal act is still having uh, on our people. It is not about the past. It is very, very present. Very, very quick story. Recently, I had a, a conversation, family connection type conversation, and pointed out to, to some people in that discussion that my own grandfather, with whom I was very close, was born in 1902. His mother, whom I also uh, had conversations with when I was a boy, was born in 1884. Her dad was born in 1851. I mean, you, you make it, people make it sound as though we're talking about something that happened in the Middle Ages, and we're talking here about right. on our lives today, and we're talking about people that we knew who were from the 1800s. Absolutely, absolutely. Because Alexander Mighty, who is my great-great-grandfather, was born in 1829. So it's personal to me. That is my family. We have managed to trace. So it's not too far in the past. And, in, and, and also, I did my DNA test because... 
I know I'm suffering from identity theft as well, and I'm trying to recover some of what was stolen from me. And my DNA test uh, put my mother's family squarely in Cameroon. How did people from Cameroon reach over here? Mm. Why does my DNA test show Cameroon? Somebody is responsible for that. And that's part of this reparatory justice movement. And we're using everything we can, all measures, all strategies, to try to hold people account and to say reparation has been paid to other groups. What about people of African descent? What about African people? The closest they came for African people would have been in the case of the Mau Mau. And even so, just like the UK High Commissioner here in Jamaica said, we don't pay for people. Our ancestors cannot be so treated as dead people who don't matter. They matter in the way that George Floyd matters. Breonna Taylor matter. She matters. So they are dead, but they matter. And I think what we can do for their legacy, as other people I see doing now, there are financial institutions, there are universities, there are insurance companies like Lloyds of London, taking responsibility, owning up, and saying we have to engage in a repository justice conversation. But states have remained reticent. And we're calling on the state to say, you created the environment within which all these institutions and so on, we're not taking them off the hook, but we're saying, Somebody started this. You capitalized it. You conceptualized it. Your cities got rich from it. You built the ship. And you co-opted co other people in your criminal enterprise. Therefore, you have the major part of the responsibility. Indeed. indeed. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I couldn't uh, agree more. In fact, uh, you know, you mentioned some institutions, but even, even the Church of England, even churches yeah. mentioned. It, right, right. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and 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 the the owning up to that is is now at, at a point where it must happen, and we we must demand it. Yes, as but this, as as Professor Bethel says, this can't only be the the year of apology, or the you know the, the of apology. You need to do something. So so this is one step, even if it is that they were using the word apology, which you're not, and. Some of them who are using apology, they are saying, but not for the historic wrong. We will give you grants and aid and so on. We're not mendicants. That's right. It's a right. You harmed us. It's a right. Indeed, indeed. Let's, let's, uh, let's take a, a, a little journey over to Dominica. I think uh, the Nature Island is calling. Minister yeah. Frederick. Yeah, thank, you, thank you, Frederick. How are you doing? How are you doing? Uh, I'm terrific. I'm terrific. Thank you. I'm glad that you were able to get back in. We missed you for a moment. Um, right, right. Okay. So, so let's let's talk about. Uh, let's take a step back, I suppose, right? Because um, there were folks here when Columbus decided he discovered the place, right? Um, there were folks living and and thriving and 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 happy. And uh, and then Columbus comes and says, "I discovered a place," and then we know what happened after that, right? Let's talk about reparations as it relates to in the indigenous population, right? So, like like the Kalinago population of Dominica, can you you describe for us the case for reparations for indigenous people in particular? 
um, and, and how that you know, fits into the, the case uh, for the enslaved Africans. Yes, um, so Frederick, I, I, I want to feed off the energy of um, um, Professor Shepard. Great um, energy. Yes, um, that, that energy there. And just to, and to say that, um, that for, for a very, very long time, um, the, 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 the sort of disconnect with the indigenous population was sort of something prevalent in, in, in our Caribbean society. And, and, and we are happy to be part of this movement for reparative uh, justice because, of course, it all began with us. Um, These this people came and they invaded our space. And while we stood and we fought um, a battle and uh, battles, and, and we, we, we were on the verge of extinction, and we were not willing to, 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 to participate in a sort of capitalist enterprise. And, and we see the, the the gradual movement of getting the other people, um, in that sense, people of African descent. Um, so, so we have to dig deep into that past, and and there's a lot of um, archaeological evidence to suggest that that there there there, there was a thriving um, population in the archipelago, all the way from Bahamas in the north to Trinidad in the south, um, and we have we have seen. A, a sort of movement during during the time of conquest to 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 label that population as being ungodly, barbaric, animal-like, and and to create a, a, a sense that these people are inhuman, so they should be gotten rid of. And I, I have argued many times that um, the, 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 the 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 entire Christian doctrine of discovery was really what um. Um, cause the demise of the of the indigenous population, and 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 I say and I say it without categorizing the population, because even even the, the European chronicles would suggest that the European eye could not discern the differences. So I, I as a as a as a modern a modern day indigenous um, brother, I I refuse to use terms like the Arawak and Taino and Kalinago. Like I think we are creating, we are we are we are continuing to perpetuate the, the, the categories created by someone who came, and it is something that has to, we have to kind of emancipate ourselves from, and just knowing that we had a rich culture, a very rich heritage, and some of it, I will tell you, is very prevalent in our in our present day society. Um, so for instance, um, Prof spoke about the the identity theft, and, and we lost our names and, and our religion, all of this. There are countries in the Caribbean that are indigenous in name. Mm. Jamaica, for example, and Haiti, for example. And it is not part of the popular discourse. And so we, we, we are still, while we are on a move for, for, for reparations and justice, we also must also take some time off and, and, and deconstruct those, those um, sort of um, categories created by, by the colonizers. Uh, a, a country with its own flag and your national flower and your own anthem and your own um, um, national dish. All of this is, is really, really uh, sort of um, separating us within the Caribbean space. Mm. And so we are not, we are not gravitating towards the collective. And that collective would have come out of the indigenous population where we were moving freely across the Caribbean region and trading. And uh, so the idea of a, of, a, of, a, of a free movement of people was evident in that space for such a long time. So we, we understand, we understand the, the past. We understand that there has to be 
justice. And like Prof said, we, it, is, it is not too late. It has to be part of the conversation. And we have to have an unlearning or a re-education of all of the aspects that cause us to be in that state. Um, so a small population exists in Dominica. But I, I can guarantee you that they're, 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 if we do a proper DNA analysis of the entire region, we will find pockets of indigenous population right across the Caribbean. Some of it is evident in, in facial features, etc. But some of it is also evident in the, in the way people, people socialize and the way they, they participate in everyday activities. So we, so, we, we want this to be done. Um, I, I, I get it 100%. And um, you made a statement right at the end um, about um, sort of cataloging. Um, do you know? I mean, do uh, is there a, is there a, a well certainly a desire, but is there an effort to catalog the size of the community at this point, or um, do you have some understanding outside of Dominica of what the population? Um, is throughout the Caribbean. Yeah, so, so we have a, a basic understanding and we also, there's also the move to create this kind of connectivity because we, we know for a fact that there are the Garifuna in, 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 in St. Vincent, oh. um, which was the, 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 uh, a mixture of the Carinago and people of African descent. We also know there's, there's, a, there's a small community in Santa Rosa in Trinidad. Oh. Um, yeah, and we know that there's an emerging um, consciousness in, in, in Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic, for instance, of people going back to, uh, to, to tracing their, their roots to the Taino. So there's that movement. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an exciting movement because it, 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 is, uh, it, it is such a, it is, it is a, a regional movement. And, and that's, what, that's the kind of view I would like us to appreciate, that reparative justice, the justice for genocide against indigenous peoples of the Caribbean, it is, it is a, a regional movement. We should not confine it to a particular European-style uh, construct, because really, uh, uh, folks, what we're doing, if we don't break down those barriers, we're creating consciously this for ourselves this, and something that's not assist us in, 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 in understanding and appreciating the, the need for, uh, for that, that sort of justice. So we if do have... Allow, sorry, if you could just allow me to piggyback on something he said. Um, may sure. I? Yeah. And I just wanted to, to say thanks to Minister because I told you about the lecture series that we have in collaboration with the St. Lucia Reparation Committee and um, MP Koya Frederick was part of a panel and the, that lecture was titled The Myth of Extinction because that's one of the things that we have to do not just with the children but with our own adults who believe that Oh, what are we talking about? Where are these people? You know, right, right. Here and so, so I wanted to, to to mention that lecture. And we had another lecture before that, where we had the chiefs, some of the chiefs, talking to the children themselves to say, "We are here. We have always been here. Our people have been here." Santa Rosa community. They also spoke. The chief from from um, spoke. So. I, I hear the minister calling for decolonization of the narrative. And this is where the sense of reparation is also aligned. You know, we are part of our role is to research, disseminate, 
engaging decolonization, which the University of the West Indies has been doing for a very long time, ever since it was established, trying to clean up that misunderstanding and mislabeling and, and, and the myth of discovery and others. We want to en ensure that our children know that people are here, but that genocide, they were a genocidal act. They, they think that because we say they were subjected to genocide and genocidal intentions and actions, so why are they here? So we, we have had to clarify that, but it doesn't mean everything one has disappeared. And mm -hmm. so to talk about Minister referred to as the reclaiming our name. Now you talk about a Haiti, but remember, we should be saying Haiti, not Haiti. Haiti. Haiti, and Jamaica has Haiti. also been, been been changed, you know, from the initial spelling and pronunciation. And I know that in Dominica, when I was there to give the Eugenia Charles lect public lecture, I, 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 I came upon a controversy. There was a movement to change the name back to Waitukubuli. But no, the Colombian name of Dominica has stopped. So we have, the point is, while we are saying Black Lives Matter and looking outside of the Caribbean, we need to focus here and say, but we need to do something here as well. We need to teach that African people's lives did not begin with the trafficking, as dark as that was. Ivan Van Sertima, the Guyanese scholar, has told us they came before Columbus, and we have evidence. So yeah. I hear your appeal for decolonization. We're on board with you for renaming, for us to see ourselves as a collective, but also to understand that what happened to the indigenous people was a crime against humanity. And they have had to just rebuild their lives. And we honor them for the effort to do that. And we are struggling as African people too, to even bear a collective name of Africans. Yes, yes. I just thought I would you know, interject those few points. Yeah. So, a very important point, Mr. Riley. Absolutely, and and I mean, to give further context to it, I mean, first of all, we are talking about continuity and lineage, and we're talking about a very strong cultural and historical presence that we obviously still have and will continue to have. But we're also talking about genocide, uh, in the sense that um, I, I mean, the, the history tells us that in 1700, um, there were three million indigenous people. Uh, in the Caribbean, and, 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 and genocide took care of those numbers to a large extent, to the point now um, where indigenous peoples are down to the tens of thousands and no longer millions. But, but the point is well taken that, um, that, that uh, we're, we're here to stay. And, and let me not forget to say what an honor it is anyway to, to meet someone on this panel um, mm -hmm. who is absolutely who is, is, uh, who is Kalanago. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a pleasure uh, to have you with us as well. I have a quick question for you, uh, Minister. So the CARICOM Reparations Commission lists Indigenous Peoples Development as a specific item on the 10-point action plan. What is that? How will that program work? Uh, and, and how far along is it? Yeah, so so, so um, the, the development plan is, 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 is it's a step to, to create opportunities for the Indigenous population. And, and for sure, the, the University of the West Indies has led that, that movement. And I actually, I'm a product of that movement. That's why I'm very proud to be part of this panel. 
uh, in 2008, I received this Afro Indigenous Scholarship. Um, mm. It is something that I would have loved to have done many moons ago because I, I, I came to the university very late and my parents couldn't afford it, etc. And I was given the opportunity to, 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 to go out in a neighboring neighbor Caribbean island and, and to, to, to understand the, the, the movement for, for an education. And, I, and at the U, we are doing history for the time. And that's why, so I'm not an MD by chance. I'm an, I, I, can, I can say for the record that I'm a member of parliament because of the, the move in 2008 and before, a little before to have some form of program that positively affects the indigenous population. So I'm a product of that, that initial movement. And so we, so although within the, the community on, on the island, we have this concern, um, are we gonna get caught a check? Um, are we going to get the money in our, in our bank account? But it's also important to know that the, the reparative movement is beyond, or it's, it's, it's more than a single check or a, a monetary payment. It has in it um, uh, an ability to create institutions and, and programs that can positively affect um, lives. Because like Prof said earlier on, we, 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 we have seen the disruption of, of, the, of our people and loss of identity. And these programs have to, to, to encourage that movement. Um, the, the teaching of, of, of the, the history of our schools in the mm -hmm. curriculum, the, the using of our names. Actually, I have a son, a four-year-old son, I, I named him a Kalinago name. Because I, I thought it'd be, it'd be a, a, a wise thing to, to, to honor the ancestors who, who had names of their own. Mm -hmm. And so all of this is important. And, and to, to, we are right now doing a bit of the English language itself, getting bits and pieces from the archival material from the French missionaries. So, so the program is, is something that we're doing. And I must say, um, I, I, I'm not embarrassed here by saying that the present government with which I, I, I serve have done a lot to, toward that sort of movement. We have established the, the uh, Ministry of Kalinago Affairs, so the department over the couple of years. We have had a name change in 2014 from Carib to Kalinago, which is now official. Um, we, we, see, we see a number of people get, get in, in, in involved in the public service. The opportunities are, are shared equally for people of indigenous descent like myself. So all of these are those things that make that sort of development program important. And so uh, the, 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 the final take from this is that what is so very, 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 very interesting about this is that we are the crafters of that program. We decide for ourselves how we see ourselves moving forward. And I'm very happy to have the opportunity to, to, to be part of the, the operation movement because I suspect if it was, it was the opportunity was given to the oppressors, they would have created for us what they wanted, not what they want for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So this, this is how we do the, the development process itself. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned the, the whole notion of the parties that it's not just being about a check, because oftentimes when you talk about reparations, that's the first thing that springs into people's mind. Oh, uh, it, 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 it's about money. So I, I'm going to ask uh, you to just expand a little bit, and, and, and Frederick, if, if we could get Professor Shepard to opine on this as well, just talk about some of the other non-monetary benefits of, of which there are significant numbers uh, of, of reparatory justice, non-monetary. First you, Minister, and, and then if Professor uh, Shepard can. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so so for sure we, we have to look at our institutions and, and, and our buildings and how, how they how they inculcate within them um, the sort of narrative that relates and speaks to reparations and, and indigenous genocide. We have to get to we also have to get through to, to even our spiritual institutions because we, even as we speak, the, the, my, the population of, of my community is predominantly Christian. So we have we have little or no trappings of an, our indigenous religion, uh, which I, I would argue that um, colonization is almost complete because we, we lost almost all of our trappings of our heritage. We also have to look at the opportunities for education, which is very important because like some of the some of the the, 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 the great leaders in, in the historical context have spoke about and education has been a sort of liberation from, from, from a present existence. Um, and we also have to look at how, how do we um, develop our art and craft, and how do we keep the, the material culture of, of the communities growing. So all of these are, are non-monetary um, sort of benefits we can derive from, from that movement. Yeah. Um, you want me to jump in here? Okay. First, let me just say something. When you have a case, it, when, one of you is a lawyer, I think, or maybe more than one, <laughs> I don't know. But when you have, when you take a case to court, let's say, you're awarded damages, you're awarded monetary compensation, and you spend it how you want. Nobody says, why you're spending it this way or that way? That's your business. That's the first thing. So nothing is wrong with money. And if it is that that is what some people want, they have a right to say that's what we want. And yes, to say, but no, don't give it to people because they're going to buy um, bling bling. So what if that is what you want to do with your money? However, they are saying that it is better to put to demand money. By the way, because it takes cash to care, it takes cash to develop, right? Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to negotiate for a financial package. That financial package, however, will be put into a pool for development. And we have the strategy. We have talked about the health crisis which we have in our region. We have seen how COVID-19 is affecting black people right across the world, not just in the Caribbean. Look at Brazil, look at other parts of Latin America, look at the United States of America. And then people say, oh, well, because some of you are old. Well, old age is not a reason to die. And you can Or they have comorbidities. What are the comorbidities? And why so many black people have them? Type 2 diabetes, hypertension, because of enslavement and 300 years of bad treatment and bad diet and too much salt and too much sugar because that's what the diet was and the intergenerational transmission of the intolerance of processing sugar and salt. So I don't have all the medical answers, but I'm saying that that's from what I've been learning from my medical friends, that's part of it. So then we inherit this illiteracy, because remember, our post-colonial governments have been running to catch up, to use their own resources to, have, to build societies. And we have to credit them with that, even if we're not satisfied with the pace of it or whatever. So a financial package properly negotiated by an independent group will be able to say we need so many schools, 
if we are going to address access to education, if we are going to access, uh, um, have quality education, we need so many teacher training colleges and so many teachers trained. We need clinics, hospitals, trained doctors. We need money for that. So the, so the package is going to be one which is, is going to be financial, but it's just not going to each person's bank account. It is the, for the collective, that collective for, uh, uh, of which Minister speaks. So this is how it will work. But I just wanted to say, nothing wrong with money. It is just we are using the money in a different way. But I want to also go back to the issue of education because Honorable Koza Frederick is here as a living testimony of what happens when somebody invests in people's education. And so there is internal reparation going on in our own societies. And I have to thank Professor Hilary Beckles for that as well, because you have heard Kozia Frederick thank him. But mm. maybe what you don't know, Minister, is that I introduced something called Taino Day, Indigenous Peoples Day in Jamaica, because they are here somewhere, even residing in our DNA. People right. from um, African ancestry that come, they tell me that they have done tests in our state, and, they, and part of that mystery is Indigenous people. So they are here somewhere and reside in the Maroons and so on. So I asked Professor Beckles when he was principal of Cable Campus to, can you finance some of the indigenous people, students you have there, let them come to Jamaica so that we can share this presence and this knowledge and their culture. And it was so wonderful. He did. Students gathered, they wanted to touch them. Oh my God, they told me you were dead. Your people were dead. It was it was, wow. it was transformative. Mm -hmm. These are the kinds of actions we need by thought leaders like Hillary Beckles, thought leaders, people with a sense of justice and how they can, as administrators, turn their jobs as administrators into a, a kind of job, a kind of administration which addresses the colonial mess that was left here in our education system and ensure that there are ethical institutions geared towards the people of the region. And I really hope we have him around for some more time because this is a work in action. But I wanted to put that in. Indeed, indeed. Well, I um, again, there's so much packed in that. Um, I, you know, the issue of money uh, is... Uh, you know, it's a very rare because, um, yes, in law, and I am one of the lawyers on the panel, um, that's what you go for. That's the compensation, monetary damages. And you're right. Nobody asks how you're going to spend it after. So this, this, this idea that we should be running away from monetary compensation no. is one that needs to be completely, completely. That's right. That's right. In fact, well, we have uh, the fact of how we want this money to be used. Is that the difference? Indeed. indeed. In fact, I mean, you probably can can help me uh, sort of elaborate on this point. But when when slavery was abolished, um, there was a a scheme put in place in order to um, compensate not the slaves but the slave owners. Yeah. for the loss of their property, right? Mm -hmm. Correct? Mm -hmm. um, and indeed, there was this 
scheme said you would get, and I can't remember the numbers, but let's say 20 million. 20 million. Uh, it was 20 million. Okay. So you get 20 million, and then the other 20 million uh, would come from the slaves themselves. Um, so from there the was. From the so called apprenticeship system, the scamming that was called right. apprenticeship. Yeah. In labor for four more years. Right, correct, correct. So, well, I'm sure that, that I know, but for a different reason. Uh, uh, Dorbin, I'm so sorry, Dorbin had a power cut. 